This is the On All Cylinders Podcast. Powered by Summit Racing. Your host for today is Summit Racing's Paul Sokolis with special guest, Joe Rock from Retrosound. Here we go. Hello and welcome to another installment of the On All Cylinders Podcast. You got me for your host today, Paul Sokolis. And yeah, we're talking about what is arguably one of my favorite topics. I mean, it's easy to get jazzed up about tire squealing acceleration and carving corners in a, in a really fast car. But all that stuff, to me at least, takes a backseat to a good set of tunes. Especially if you've got a classic car. I mean, the window's down, the engine's rumbling along, and you've got some nice music spilling out of your jam box. From Waylon Jennings to Wu-Tang to Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, having a good soundtrack just makes that experience all the more enjoyable, right? But on the flip side, that does present a problem for a classic car owner. Whether you're dealing with the previous owner who's hacked the dash and the electrical system to bits trying to retrofit an old cassette deck, or you had an old hot rod that never had a radio to begin with, maybe your classic just has an AM radio and you're tired of hearing the ag report, so you want to update it to uh, 21st century technology like Bluetooth and stuff like that. So today on the show, we brought on Joe Rock from Retrosound, and we're going to talk about some car audio diagnostics and troubleshooting and some options and solutions for folks with like a hacked up dash or want to convert their old radio to modern features without losing that nifty vintage aesthetic. So without any further ado, uh, Joe, thank you for joining us. Happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. No, we're glad to have you on. I mean, again, this is one of my favorite topics and certainly probably a lot of other folks as well. Uh, Before we get into the nitty gritty, though, uh, tell us a bit about you, man. How did you get to become this guru of car audio? What led you to uh, Retrosound? It's kind of a, a different one. You know, I, I've always grown up around cars. My dad, you know, always had an Impala here and there to, to mess around with. So, you know, I always kind of grew up wrenching around cars a little bit. I, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a gearhead right off the bat. I just stumbled upon retro manufacturing that kind of needed a guy with my skill set. And it just ended up working out. And what a better industry to be in than the automotive industry. You know, cars are cool. Our equipment's cool. So it just worked out for me. Couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, the automotive aftermarket industry is just a cool, interesting place to be. There's always something new to discover. Um, and in fact, if memory serves, that's where you and I met, right? Um, the, the SEMA show in Vegas, correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah, in our booth. You came by. Okay, so let's just start from, from square one, shall we? Um, say someone has a, an old classic car and they want a modern sound system in it, whether that's a Porsche or an Impala like you mentioned. What do you recommend for like a first step? Well, I mean, we offer uh, classic car stereos for thousands of makes and models. So best bet is to hop on our website and check out if we have a specific radio for your vehicle. Chances are we do. Um, What we do is we make uh, a radio that has all the modern features that you expect in a modern radio you get at Walmart or anywhere else, but it's going to look like the factory radio in whatever vehicle you're working on. Um, If we don't have a specific fitment for your vehicle, we do have a kind of versatile product that um, works with hundreds of different bezels and faceplates to kind of let you customize your look and get kind of a close to factory look in your vehicle. So no matter the situation, we got something to work out for you. So let's say hypothetically a person's got an old car that already came equipped with a radio, whether that radio is still there or the head unit itself is long gone. What do you recommend at that point? Um, should that be a full system tear out? Should like rip out all the old speakers and old wires or is there stuff you can salvage? 
Um, yeah, I mean, it depends. I mean, when you think about car audio in terms of age, if you're working on a vehicle that's 60s or 70s, chances are those speakers are, are stock or factory. And after 20, 30 years, those paper cones in those speakers are going to be brittle and kind of nasty and not sound great anymore. So we would definitely recommend upgrading the speakers and the radio together because you're going to get the best possible sound that way. Now, can the same be said for like the speaker wires? Um, in a lot of cases, it might be easy to swap out a set of speakers on a package tray or even work behind the dash. But running a clean set of speaker wires might be a lot more labor intensive, like running under the carpet or through a headliner. Is it OK to reuse your speaker wires? It's always We always recommend testing the wiring with a multimeter first when you're doing your install 100% of the time. And if it checks out and the wiring seems like it's in good shape and it's not, you know, beat up or falling apart anywhere, then go ahead and use it. But we do uh, provide speaker wires with all of our speakers. So you do have the option to run new fresh wire. And obviously that's always the best case scenario to do the extra work and get clean wire in there. Now, this may be a silly question to ask, but I'm going to power through it anyway because it's my job. Um, Are there any sorts of clues that someone should look for or listen for in their speakers to tell that they're, they're blown or shot or shouldn't be reused? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, your ear is always the best gauge on that, right? If, if you hear it kind of with a ripped or muffled kind of wooly sound to it, then chances are it's, it's beat up and those paper materials in that speaker aren't good anymore. Uh, but you could also do a visual test and just take a look at the speaker and, you know, give it a slight poke with your finger. And if it's brittle enough to put your finger right through by barely touching it, obviously you need to replace the speaker. But nine times out of 10, if it's 20 or 30 years old, visually it's going to look old and dusty and brittle. And it's at that point you just want to put new speakers in. Now, moving past the speakers, um, let's talk about the power wiring. When it comes to hook up a, a car stereo, whether it's a retro sound unit or any other manufacturer for that matter, should it be on its own dedicated circuit or can you wire the, the car radio in the same circuit as, say, your dome lights or your air conditioning unit? I mean, you can, but it's always best to run on a separate circuit. When you're on a separate circuit, you avoid any kind of interference or inducted noise that you're going to introduce into the system by trying to piggyback on another circuit. And you also avoid the risk of overloading the circuit. So it's always best to do it on its own. Now, you're obviously speaking as a representative from Retrosound. But I was wondering, like, say, for instance, someone does install a modern head unit into a vintage vehicle. Do you find that they have to uh, also consider the power demands from that new head unit? Or in other words, should they think about upgrading their alternator as well? It depends on the scenario. Typically, your your standard alternator is going to be fine for just a regular car stereo system. If you're adding amplifiers and subwoofers to it, of, of course, you want to address that. And wouldn't hurt to beef up your alternator a little bit at that point. But, you know, I think the most common scenario where that is a problem is the older vehicle, um, you know, the 50s, early 60s, where they weren't really designed to have a car stereo system in them. And then people are adding that and it's just causing additional load in the system, kind of unbalancing things. So definitely at that point with older vehicles, you want to beef up your alternator. But one thing that's also often overlooked is battery health. A lot of people don't understand that having a new battery is very, very important to having a a nice balanced system with your current draw. So you just mentioned vehicles from like the early 60s on back. And that brings me to a question I kind of wanted to ask, because not only does it affect uh, some of the owners of those older vehicles, it may also impact some owners of some more modern trucks. Um, I'm an old Jeep CJ guy, and for old Jeeps, the radio was an afterthought well into the 80s. So I guess that's a roundabout way of asking this question. 
What kind of options or solutions do you recommend for someone who has a vehicle that never had a radio in it? Because then you truly are starting from square one. There's no hole in the dash. There's no wiring run. What can you tell people that maybe don't want to cut a hole in the dash? Or maybe they do and they just want it really clean. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as far as the radio is concerned, we do offer a remote mounting kit that kind of can allow you to put your radio in the glove box or pretty much anywhere in the vehicle um, if it didn't originally have a factory radio. For you specifically, for those Jeeps, you know, a lot of times on those older Jeeps, they had a lot of flat surface area on the dash where nothing was ever there. Um, we do make our Huntington radio. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that radio is a surface mount design and it, it's kind of designed for Broncos, old Broncos, but it's really great in Jeeps too, because it only requires two small holes for the potentiometers to come through and everything else is just surface mounted. So you don't really have to cut up the dash. All right. So say someone does want to install a, a modern radio again, whether it's yours or, or someone else's, um, do you have any suggestions or tips or recommendations on how they should run their power wire or their speaker wire when it's time to do the install? Uh, I mean, when you're running your wire specifically, you do want to make sure it's not going to be snagged by anything or any mechanical parts and it's not, you know, drooping down or exposed uh, to the elements too much. But uh, other than that, you know, you just kind of want to make sure your system's installed cleanly and tightly and then you should be good to go. Now, we kind of talked about this in the context of the radio unit itself. But what kind of tips or solutions or suggestions can you offer people who kind of want a minimally invasive speaker installation? Yeah, you know, and a lot of cars, uh, you know, either didn't have speakers at all because they didn't have systems or, you know, maybe it was early stuff that only had a mono speaker location. You want to put a set of stereo speakers back in the package tray. We do offer um, our surface mount. They're kind of kick panels. We call them retropods. And they're, what they are is just uh, surface mount modules that house a speaker, either a four by six or a six and a half inch. And they just mount to any flat surface with four little uh, machine head screws. You don't have to cut a big old hole to house that speaker in. Those are great for the back uh, package tray or for your kick panels up front, stuff like that. Now, we've talked about the head unit. We've talked about the power. We've talked about the speakers. One of the final pieces of the puzzle, at least in my mind, is the antenna placement. Um, do you have any suggestions or tips on where folks should put an antenna for their radio? particularly those who um, have uh, like pre-war hot rods that can't necessarily rely on the factory original placement if their vehicle was so equipped? Sure, yeah. I mean, you're always going to get the best AM FM reception with an external mounted antenna. Um, and a lot of the cars in you know the 60s and 70s had a, a spot for that. Um, a lot of rest of motors these days are kind of eliminating that antenna mount or they want something hidden. We do have a hideaway option. Um, they're never going to be as solid as an external mounted antenna. But we find for most people, it'll get you by for what you need for AM, FM. Um, and that's the HPA1 and the WPA1. And both those two units will tuck up in your dash and give you a decent amount of radio reception. Um, we also just added Bluetooth to our lower uh, feature set. So the Motor 1 now has Bluetooth as well, just like the Motor 2 and Motor 4. Um, because we find a lot of our customers these days are just streaming music or radio stations from their cell phones and not really using the AMF and band so much anymore anyway. So we wanted to, to make that available to everybody. So that way uh, it's not really a concern, you know. Uh, for those people that do uh, still listen to the radio a lot, you know, you have uh, the option of those hideaway antennas, which is a great option. Or you can go with our Motor 4 feature set, which is uh, Sirius XM Ready. Uh, the Sirius XM satellite uh, antenna is a small modular unit that just tucks up behind the dash as well. And that gives you XSM access on your uh, RetroSound radio. You piqued my curiosity a little while ago when you said your remote mount option. 
And I'm just drawing upon my experiences like a ham radio guy, where sometimes the radios themselves are really big, so they're kind of tough to, to fit in a vehicle. When you talk about your remote mount models, what else needs to be considered? In other words, where can I stuff this thing? Does it need any special accommodations? No, not, not so much, as long as it'll fit our radio housing, and you can pretty much mount it anywhere, as long as it has room for that box. And our radio motor is very small. I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's you know a four and a half inch by four and a half inch box, a very small little unit. So it could tuck up under the dash or you know in a glove box somewhere, even under a seat, as long as you have access to the control somewhere. And the, the beauty of the remote mounting kit is it extends it up to 12 feet from radio face to motor body. So you can kind of put those two units anywhere you want that's convenient for you. So you used a term that I think we might need to clarify. Uh, you refer to these uh, these radios, those retro sound radios, as motor units. Yeah, there's so there's there's three different feature sets. And let me let me take you back in history a little bit to where the company started. Uh, back when we began, the first radio units we created were full radio units. The 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 box and the face were all one unit that shipped out to the customer. But it was very limited on what we could provide. And we found that customers kind of like to pick their features. So we we're kind of pigeonholing people into certain feature sets based on what vehicle they had. So at one point, we wanted to separate that and make it a little bit more modular. So we have three feature sets um, available at three different price points to the customer. Uh, and they'll give you, you know, the first one is AM, FM with Bluetooth auxiliary out and that's pretty much it your your motor 2 is going to have add your usb to it and a subwoofer output for people that want to expand their audio systems a little further and then the motor 4 is going to add hd radio sirius xm ready has all the bells and whistles so you can kind of choose what feature set you want and then from there you just select the radio face that's appropriate for your car so what we did is make it work with all radio faces not just specific ones so when you go to our website and you start out with our year make model search, the first thing it's going to do is pull up the, the radio face that's specific to your vehicle. Uh, and then from there, it's going to let you pick a feature set. So you pick the motor that you want to go with that face. Now, it should go without saying that you can pick a Retrosound radio up at summitracing.com. But what is the uh, Retrosound web address? Can you lay it on us? Uh, retromanufacturing.com. Retromanufacturing.com. Now, one of the topics that I really wanted to dive into, because it's kind of a fascinating history, if you've worked in and around car audio any time in the last, you know, 35, 40 years, you have undoubtedly seen the acronym D-I-N, usually just referred to as DIN. Can you explain what DIN is, when it came about, and why it's causing a problem for, for owners of classic cars? Sure, yeah. The DIN sizing was a standard created in Germany back in the 80s. Um, basically, it started out for Audis, BMWs, those European classics like Volkswagens, um, to kind of standardize the size of a, a radio for audio manufacturers. And it, it became very, very popular uh, worldwide. And it's to, to today, it's even an industry standard. I mean, uh, nowadays, you're looking at a lot of flat screens with, you know, big doubled in sizes and things a lot larger. But in the early 80s, a lot of radios came over from Japan in that two inch by seven inch size. So DIN stands for Deutsch Industrie Norman, which is the standard created in Germany in the 80s for radio sizes. Um, and what happened was, you know, a lot of your kids in the 90s driving around their dad's 70 C10 pickup truck <laughs> wanted to upgrade to a tape deck or to a CD player, you know, cut big holes in the dash to accommodate these radios that are coming over from Japan with the, these new audio features. 
And nobody batted an eye at it because, you know, the car was 10 or 20 years old. It wasn't that big of a deal. Today, we all cringe at it. We're like, why did you do that to your truck? Oh, no. You know, so it, that's really what kind of sparked the Retrosound brand and created the company to begin with is the need in the industry for a solution that fit a factory location where your, your son wasn't cutting a big hole in your truck dash. He was ordering something that fit properly and looked correct, you know. Um, and But at the same time, during the 80s and 90s, so many vehicles were cut that it also created a need in the industry for a solution that looked period correct in that DIN size, which is why we created our DIN repair kit that you saw over at the SEMA show when you stopped by the booth. Um, that allows you to put one of our period correct looking radios in a big cut opening that, you know, the teenager hacked up in the early 90s. <laughs> I am not too ashamed to admit that uh, I was one of those kids that hacked up the dash to fit in that banging Alpine head unit. But yeah, yeah, now I cringe. So let's go down that path. Say, for instance, I've found this awesome classic car on an online classified ad. Everything about this old car truck is perfect, except I hop in the front seat and see a giant, what do you say, two by eight inch hole that some previous me had cut in <laughs> to the dash to fit uh, uh, that aforementioned banging head unit. Are you telling me that uh, there is a solution for that? Or you see this big rectangular 80s looking neon radio with all these colors flashing at you, right? <laughs> yeah, man. And presumably with a Guns N' Roses Appetite for Destruction cassette still jammed in the deck, right? Um, so yeah, you want to pull that thing out and then you're left with this DIN-sized hole in your dash. What do you do? Correct. Yeah. So that's where a DIN repair kit comes into play. Um, it's just a simple two inch or two and a half inch by seven inch sleeve that slides into that opening that fits that standard size that all those radios were back in the day uh, and clips in. Uh, and then a couple of brackets get mounted to our period correct looking radio that allow you to slide the whole unit in, click it into place. And it gives you a more factory-like solution than than the, uh, the previous one was. It's never going to restore it to, you know, uh, 100% factory unless you order a whole new dash for your vehicle. Um, but it does give you a look that kind of fits the bill. It's not going to stick out and look like a sore thumb. And it's going to give you all those modern features that you're looking for. We've been talking vintage car audio for dang near 20 minutes now. And I assure you, I could easily make this podcast last another week. But I'm going to take this time and swing the mic over to you. Does Retrosound have anything new coming up? Is there any nifty new feature or product that you want to tell us about? Keep your eye out next year. We are working on some new solutions for those big cut dashes, um, but nothing that we can announce at the time. Now, are you willing to divulge any trends you're noticing in the vintage car audio market? Um, and I ask just because I love hearing what the new uh, current hip trends are, right? Uh, that's just what makes this whole gearhead hobby so darn cool, I think, um, because you never know what trends, what fads, what, uh, what's going to be popular in this culture. Like, is it square body trucks? Is it import tuner cars? Is it Volkswagens? Recently, our Santa Cruz radio has just been on fire. Um, it's our OBS truck solution. So for those uh, 1988 Chevy trucks with that really awkward size radio that nobody makes, we actually make a unit that fits in that weird size and looks pretty much factory. So those have been doing really well lately. And I'm not sure if it's just the popularity of the OBS truck market right now, or if it's we've we have created a, a bit of brand awareness around that particular product. We've been selling it for many years. But uh, the last this last uh, six months, it's just been on a rocket ship straight up. 
Now, you see, that is interesting because when I first picture, you know, retro sound radios or vintage car audio, I immediately think of just habitually uh, like 57 Chevys, right? Wonder Bar radios. Are you noticing an uptick on radios based on later model vehicle designs? No, not really. I mean, it is one of the later ones. Uh, we do push close up into the 90s and early 2000s on some vehicles that had that DIN in a half size radio. I don't know if you're familiar, but at some point the industry decided radios needed to be bigger, not smaller. And they kind of doubled the size of that uh, three by eight opening. Um, so we do make a, a couple of solutions um, for that, the Newport and the New York those are popular in like early 2000 Dodge trucks, for example, or your um, your Grand Prix, things like that, that had those big um, din and a half size openings for the radio in them. That leads me to this question, and that is simply, what kind of tech questions do you guys face a lot? Because, man, you got to address a lot of different issues. It all seems to come together in the dash cutout for a car radio, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I tell you... Uh, there, there's two types of customers. There, there's the type of customer that wants everything super easy, and our, our, our unit's not easy. It, it requires some installation and some assembly to really get a, a good fit. And there's a reason for that. You know, um, when Steve developed this radio back in the day, he was working on his personal Mustang. It kind of gave him the idea for this whole product. And the unit he was working for the one available option on the market was just like a big brick. It didn't fit in the dash right. It stuck out weird. It wasn't a factory looking solution. He didn't want to cut the dash up. So he went in to the drawing board on this thing. And his one thing he wanted to focus on was making it modular. So when you're installing it, you can move the shafts forward or backwards or left and right if you needed a little more spacing. You can move the nose of the radio in and out or up or down to get that perfect flush look where he wanted it. So that's kind of the idea behind the whole product is a modular system that allow you to kind of adjust it. Some people don't like to do all that work. They want the easy slide-in solution. Um, which isn't always easy to accomplish, right? So probably our number one complaint is, I got to put this thing together. I, what do you mean I got to put this thing together? People expect when they get a radio, it's one single unit, they slide it in, they hook it up, it's done. Um, you know, for a DIN radio, it's pretty much that because it's nice and easy. But when you're working on like a 65 Mustang and there's not a lot of room behind the dash and the potentiometers mount kind of separately from the radio nose, it, it becomes a balancing act of getting that perfect flush kind of fit. And the brackets that Steve developed are infinity mount brackets allow you to do just that. You can move things up, down, left, or right and kind of get it to where you need it. Um, so we still get that complaint a lot and we are constantly working on our instruction manuals to make them better, more illustrative, kind of more Ikea-like, so they're easier to follow. Um, that's been a, a project of ours the last couple of years, and we've done an amazing job updating all of our um, our manuals and guides around the office, as well as our packaging and photography to kind of make it more serviceable to the customer, because it is a, diff a difficult product sometimes to work with. And I'm assuming someone could visit retromanufacturing.com and there's like a support page or there's a way for them, uh, a customer to get in contact with you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're, we're a small group of individuals here, um, but we, and we only have a couple people in our, in our tech room. They're on the phones all day with customers, helping people out, giving advice. 
Um, we do have a chat on our website as well that you're free to jump into. And another thing that's uh, kind of a new development for us, we've been working on the last couple of years, and I'm not even sure if you're aware of it. Um, a lot of our dealers probably aren't, but our uh, help sites, help.retromanufacturing.com. It's got all of our reference manuals, all of our articles. We're continuing to publish new articles there periodically to kind of help common questions we run through from customers. So a quick search on our help site honestly can often get you to your solution without even needing to call us. It's help.retromanufacturing.com. Well, I think that's a fantastic note to end on. Uh, we've been talking with Joe Rock all about vintage car audio and a lot of the, the clever, innovative solutions from uh, Retrosound. In a nutshell, they design modern radios that look vintage, so you can shove them in the dash of a 57 Chevy or vintage Porsche or whatever, and it'll look like it was in there from the factory. So thank you again for the time, Joe, and uh, can't wait to see what else you got up your sleeve. I appreciate the time with you today, and uh, it's been a great conversation. Keep cranking out those tunes, my friend. See ya. This has been the On All Cylinders podcast. Powered by Summit Racing. Check out new episodes coming soon at onallcylinders.com. Onallcylinders.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.